Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Investing Should Be Easy. I'm your host, Alex Richwagon, and it's a beautiful night in Clearwater, Florida, um, late January, about the 21st of January, and we're recording this tonight, probably release in the next day or so. So thanks for joining. Today's show, uh, I thought we were going to get another installment of the series we kicked off last week. We started interviewing a brand new investor, but Landon got a little bit under the weather, so we are going to go ahead and proceed with another show that I had on the books that I wanted to get through. Today's show is going to be about some of the biggest mistakes that I've made as an investor over the last 10 plus years. And mistakes, you don't want to make them because it's your money and it grows and it hurts, but you learn from them and you get smarter to get better and hopefully pass along the information to you and it helps you in your investing journey along the way. So I'm going to go through three pretty significant stories that helped shape me for to be a better investor, to be smarter, and to be a little wiser going forward. Um, so that's what today's show is going to be about. And we're going to go ahead and get started in three, two, one, cue the music. Investing should be easy. All right, so welcome back. Again, the podcast is uh, Investing Should Be Easy. I'm your host, Alex Richwagon, author of a few books, most notably Investing Should Be Easy. And if you have any questions, comments, uh, feedback, alex.richwagon at gmail.com. That's alex.richwagon at gmail.com. At the intro of the show... I had talked about mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I don't think anybody wants to really admit to investing mistakes because it, it means you did something wrong. You did something incorrect. You screwed something up. Guess what? We all do it. Now, I, I just want to you know, go on the show tonight and admit to the mistakes that I've made in my investing journey in hopes that it helps People just like you, people just like, you know, all the other people like me out there that have tried investing idea, maybe a strategy, and for whatever else reason, you, you should have zigged and you zagged. You, you should have gone left and you went right. And there, there's significant moments along your journey of investing, and they shape the way you think about it going forward over the next five to ten years because... Lo and behold, if you start investing when you're 20, by the time you get to your 60, you, you've kind of solidified what kind of investor you are, what kind of mistakes you're willing to tolerate, how you're not going to let investment go down from, I don't know, $10,000 down to 1000 losing 90% of the valuation. You'd sold it faster, not get emotionally attached. There's all kinds of lessons that I think you could make a collection of these items. Maybe it's a good topic for... Uh, the next iteration of uh, my book. We got some good feedback from Landon about some of the things he'd like to see in the future version that would help clear some up, clear some things up. So that's something I got to work on. But again, I own those things, just like I own these mistakes and what I learned from the mistakes. So that's that's really the message: is how do you get better and smarter as an investor and 
protect yourself for not doing it again because everybody's going to make them and everybody's human. Nobody's got this supercomputer going on. Um, you know, there's plenty of algorithms or trading frequencies out there that will try to inhibit that. Or if you just want to be an index trader, you could do that. Anyways, let's let's get into the topics. The first one is around Apple. And I I was an early investor in Apple. And um, anybody that's read the book, I, I get into the story around the first time that I ever played with, saw the iPod. So back in 2003, Apple came out with an iPod. And the iPod was just different. It was much better in, than all the other MP3 players out there that were very bulky. I remember I had one that was made by Intel and another one made by a brand that I don't remember. And I just, all of a sudden, I saw all the, all my friends, all these different kids, they all had an iPod. And it came with, I think the original version was like 16 gigs. And it looked like a little calculator, if you will, much different than the iPods you see today that are lighter, faster, and have tons of gigabyte space. And then they went from 16 gigs to 32 gigs, almost like a phone. Um, it's got the, in, in the memory. And then all the way up to 128 gigs, which was really significant. Like, oh my God, I want to put all my music on these machines. So anyways, this is back in 2003. So I saw the product, and this was an Apple was trading dirt cheap. I'm talking, you know, it went from trading in $10 a share to upwards of $90 a share. So I bought, I remember buying an Apple around $90 a share. And then after about a year, the stock had doubled which to me was pretty significant at the time because I had never had a stock that doubled that fast. And it, I don't know, it scared me, but it definitely made me think about, is this normal? Is it going to have regression to the mean? Is it going to go back to normal? I mean, they've got this beautiful product. They hadn't come out with the iPhone yet, just the iPod. And their ability to take all of the music that you had in, you know, remember, remember um, and anybody that's, you know, so I'm 38. Anybody's got those old books of CDs where you had four CDs per um, sleeve and you'd have these books that you'd be able to get 100, 200 CDs in this um, book that was like, almost like um, trading cards, if you will. And, you know, if you some, somebody set a shotgun in your car, you would ask them for a CD and like, oh no, you got to go to page 10. And they flip through the CDs and all of the things, sometimes one would fall out and you, you know, you get mad about it or um, when they had the six CD changer. Anyways, able to take all of that music and put it into a little device that was as small as a calculator, which was amazing. Getting back to the story, so I bought Apple around $90 a share. Stock went up, went up to, I think it was somewhere over $200 a share, and then started regressing back, and I was like, oh, goodness, I got to, you know, don't, don't lose your profits. So I sold the stock, at around 170 a share. I made about 100% of my money. I mean, anybody that says you made 100% of your money, you should be clapping and like, yeah, that is that is a great um, trade. That is a great investment right there. Well, lo and behold, Apple would go up to 1,000 and then would split, would go up again and split, 
and they go up again. I missed out on one of the greatest um, companies to own ever because I sold short. I wish I would have never done it. I made a bunch of more money. I mean, you know, when I was early investor, I think maybe I had a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars, something like that. Double the money. The biggest huge amount of money to me back in the day, back then. And instead of just letting the investment run or maybe doing something that I hear on um, another show that I listen to is take half off the table, which would be your original cost and then let the rest else ride and just let it go forever. I wish I would have done that. That would have been a much better move than what I did. So the mistake was selling too short, looking at the market too often. And I think more importantly, not letting that winner run for a really long period of time. Um, again, this is 2003, so we're talking about 17 years ago. I still remember that mistake. I remember some winners too, so it's not all about the mistakes you made as a loser, but it was a really important lesson. I've, you know, I've changed my portfolio several times, and I've learned that if you've got a stock that you're early in on, and it's got some amazing technology, amazing service, amazing product, whatever, sometimes you just let it go and just follow follow your instincts. Um, that's the first one is as my Apple, my big Apple mistake of uh, doubling my money and then uh, dumping the shares, which just, gosh, I wish I got back in time to do that one. The next one is a great lesson in different investment options that we have today. This is my T. Rowe Price story. So T. Rowe Price is a large mutual fund um, provider. They're one of the lowest costs on the market uh, as far as on the street. They offer varieties of mutual funds that investors can invest with. And why I really like Tier Price for a variety of reasons. Back, this is a, one of my first initial investment products that I use or investment um, portfolio brokerage account to build my build portfolio. Is so Tier Price? They have this great model that if you don't want to really take an active role in your investments, and they'll manage the money for you more actively, I could say. I'm going to upload $100 a month, $200 a month, $300 a month. And I wouldn't have to go in and make decisions. I wouldn't have to buy anything. They literally would just do all the allocations for me. Um, I would set up the strategy and saying, you know, I want to split this $100 between four different investments, $500 between four different investments. And they would just do all the work for me. I didn't have to do anything, which was really great. It taught me about how to discipline on that and broach, but also let me learn without having to constantly monitor the investments. So my relationship with Tier Price lasted something like six years, I think. But my dad had been talking to me and teaching me along the way about ETFs. Now you know mutual fund is a basket of stocks. Um you know you buy once one thing and it's made up of hundreds of stocks which really 
allocates your risk and lowers your risk um, pretty significantly. So he's, he's, touch, he's teaching me about ETFs. And an ETF is an exchange-traded fund that mirrors several mutual funds, indexes, if you will. And the biggest difference between a mutual fund and an ETF is that mutual funds got to be held for a specific period of time because the fund depends on that investment to not turn over too often. So that way their other investors don't get hit with um, shorter periods of time. Whereas an ETF trades like a stock, meaning that you buy today, you could sell it tomorrow, not a big deal. And you're not going to get it with any, um, any fees at all. So my T-Row price story, I was looking to look at some short-term investments that had very low risk, low downside, and had a good amount of upside. And I landed in an international bond fund. So a U.S. bond fund would trade in U.S. treasuries, U.S. bonds. Um, a bond is basically an IOU you give um, the government in um, portions of $1,000 per bond, and they'll give you an IOU It says, you know, you give us $1,000, we will give you that back plus um, some interest payments along the way. So they might give you $1,000 and 1070 in two years, and then give you some interest payments along the way to make you whole. And it's basically, they want to borrow your money and for... I don't know, investments, make the financial situ financial reserve better, whatever. International works a little bit differently because you're taking the same approach but in different countries, different currencies, and it's just a little more speculative. It, it had a good rating. It had a lot of good things going on there. I thought it was a pretty um, good investment to go into. Well, I started investing to it, and literally within a week, the fund went down 10%, which is highly abnormal. I mean, you're talking, if a fund goes down 5% in a month, that would be significant. But 10% in a week, two weeks, really got me nervous. Um, it was a lot of money because at the time, I think I put something like $10,000 into it. And I got really nervous because this was an investment that was supposed to be risky. It was basically something very stable, um, a significant chunk of my overall portfolio that I thought would be very safe. So I had this international bond fund. I got really nervous and I sold the fund because it just made me super nervous on a very non-risky asset that was going down significantly. Well, to make matters worse, because I sold it under 30 days or 90 days, whatever the short-term holding period was, they turned me a redemption fee on top of it. So not only did I lose more than 10%, but then I lost an additional like 5%. So 15% for something that's supposed to be a stable investment, and I just lost 15 all of a sudden. I was, I was very um, emotionally upset. I reached out to the company a few times and said, hey, this situation going on, I think you sold me a crappy product. And I is there anything you can do to help me? I'm a young investor. I've got you know less a little bit less than fifty thousand dollars. And I'm but I'm gonna grow my portfolio over a big period of time. That's my goal. 
and they pretty much told me to go, you know, eat dust. Yeah, get just get out of here. We don't, we, we can't really help you. I, I was shocked. I'm like, to early 20s investor, somebody you want to be on your books for the next 40, 50 years. Um, they wouldn't help me. I think within six months, I withdrew my entire portfolio. I was so irritated and felt betrayed by the entire process, the product, everything. It hurt. So the mistake was, <laughs> looking back, there's a few mistakes in there. But the main thing I learned from there, a mistake was buying mutual funds and getting sucked into that short-term redemption fee versus it was an ETF and kind of pivoting faster into a better product. I would have been stuck with that short-term redemption fee, which really hurt me and made me smarter. I don't use any mutual funds today. I haven't in probably five plus years um, outside of... Um, a leisure fund that I really like the product, but again, really smart way of getting, a really quick way of getting smarter because I got bit really hard and I vowed to never do that again. So that was kind of mistake number two and what I learned from it. The last one is another not same version of Apple. It's a completely different version. Um, but um, it's it's their counterpart as far as the you know technology growth company is Google. So Google had their IPO in 2004. So I was 24 years old, 14 years ago, and they were coming out with their IPO, and I didn't know everything about the financials. To be honest, I didn't know anything about the financials. Um, really early investor. I didn't get into all of the fundamental analysis. I used um, very basic strategies. I used a lot of ETFs, um, a few stocks that my dad would tell me about, and I would kind of weigh the options and how I felt about it. Well, Google was something different to me. It was something that I had started growing up with, I'd used the technology all the time. Their software was amazing compared to Yahoo, compared to AOL. Everybody remembers AOL. Remember, um, what's the other one? Uh, those two ones come to mind immediately. But Google is way different. You actually could find anything you wanted on the internet um, really fast. Their search engine was amazing. It kept getting smarter all the time. And the company just seemed to be a lot different from what, I was accustomed to in um, searching for information online. Netscape, that's the other one. Oh, and Internet Explorer. The, those search engines were, yeah, useless. I mean, I know those are browsers, and they had underlying um, browser search engines underneath them, but nothing was like Google. So anyways, I had decided, thought I decided, that I was going to put $10,000 into Google. So just for fun... I'm going to go I'm looking up Google right now. So if I would have invested $10,000 and at the stock price, the IPO, um, let's, let's call it is August 1st, 2004. And it was trading around $60. So I'm going to run this math real quick just to see what it actually would have been. 
equals four minus sixty. I would have returned a massive upside percentage, um, like fourteen hundred percent, fourteen thousand percent, something crazy like that. The stock trade is sitting trade trading today at almost fifteen hundred dollars a share. Um, the market cap's a trillion dollars. That ten thousand dollars would have been massive. Um, and if I would have just left it in there over the course of the last sixteen years, it, it definitely would have been something that could have, um, I don't know, been significant in my portfolio, both currently and the future state. So. The mistake I made was not trusting in my gut and for for a technology that I thought was pretty amazing. And you could say it's close to the Apple story. The Apple story was more about I, I you know wanted to cash in my profit and take it off the table. It's kind of a different stake if you ask me. The the Google one is more about not trusting your your gut, your instinct on you have this really great idea. You don't know what's going to happen, but you really believe in the product and you just believe in the company. Um, worst case scenario, you know, maybe the company goes down, but they don't go bankrupt. It's, but anyways, that's an amazing run that the company had. Um, and where the mistake came in mostly was I had asked my, my dad about his opinion for Google and what he thought about the company. And he, he kind of was an old school investor and I'm, transforming into that, which is funny, is about product that you know, that you can measure, how they make money, and knowing a lot about what's going on with the company. You can't get that from an IPO. You don't know what their balance sheet looks like. You don't know their fundamentals. You don't know the catalyst, the growth engine. You don't know any of those things. Anyways, I, I didn't go with the company. I didn't buy it. Huge mistake. But most importantly, you, the thing I get from there, most importantly, is take responsibility and don't blame other people for your decisions. Ultimately, it's my decision. I chose not to do it. Um, my dad's made me a lot of money throughout the years. I can't think of enough. I couldn't have written the. I wouldn't have read the book. The book is his playbook. Investing should be easy, and I really think those are some of the key things from the learning experience. So, those are the things that I wanted to hit on tonight. I thought it would be good to share some of my biggest investing mistakes that I've made in investing, the things that I've learned from them and wanted to pass those along. So buy and hold your position for long periods of time, especially if you believe in it. Um, ETFs or mutual funds are going to pay you. It's, it's easier to get out of the stock if you get, or get out of the basket of funds if you have the wrong one and it's not going to hurt you. And the last one is don't blame other people for your decisions. So my Apple, T. Rowe Price, and Google stories, um, hopefully that helps and gives you gives you the confidence to, hey, it's okay to make a decision, but how do you learn from those mistakes and how do you not make those again going forward? So those are the things that I wanted to hit on tonight and pass along my, you know, <laughs> laughing, say words of wisdom, but more about my journey and my mistakes. That way you can avoid those in the future. If you have any... Um, questions or feedback about tonight's show, please give me an email at alex.richwagon at gmail.com. That's alex.richwagon at gmail.com. 
Hope you have a great rest of your week. And uh, hopefully the Super Bowl is uh, a lot of fun in about a week and a half. So uh, have a good night. Bye. Alex Richwagon is an investment research analyst. Any of his recommendations are that of Mr. Richwagon. The information presented is the opinion of his and only his research. You should not base your investment decision based solely on his opinion. Remember, it's your money and your responsibility.